It's Barely in Topic, a podcast for Boston Bruins fans by Boston Bruins fans. Welcome to Barely on Topic. It's another episode of Social Distancing Radio, and I am VA, and I'm here with Jeff. Ahoy, ahoy. And Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> when you say ahoy, ahoy, it reminds me of David Pasternak, who he and Jake DeBrus did the Fortnite stream on Twitch yesterday. I guess Twitch was having like 24 hours of streaming for various charities for people affected by COVID-19. And I watched a little bit of it and I have no idea what Fortnite is all about. And I I was a little bit bored by it, but I tried. I, I tried. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a first person shooter game. And then like, apparently you gather materials and build shit to cover yourself as well. That's kind of like what it is. Yeah, I saw some of that. I didn't really understand it very well because they're not explaining things. They don't have to. They're just chatting. You get to see the screenshot sh- of uh, Pasta doing stuff, but and you hear JD in the background. And it, it's it's for other people, and that is fantastic. So good for you if you enjoy that. I, apparently they do streams like every day, so that's that's fun. Oh, speaking of pasta, last night or yesterday morning when he tweeted, haven't done the thing for a while, I was like, oh, I know pasta. I know we need you to do the thing all the time and score all the goals. And I felt that so much deep in my core. See, now I didn't know how to take that. And I thought he hadn't been on Twitter in a while. (laughs) See, I took it as the goals because... There's a guy that writes for Barstool, and every time Pasta scores a goal, he says, Pasta did the thing. Ah. And with a lot of the Bruins kind of enjoying that scene, the Barstool scene, I took it as that. And I think Pasta's a fan of Barstool because when they had the sushi there, he did the whole Dave Portnoy routine of one bite, everyone knows the rules. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's why I took it as that. Yeah. Well, you got to consider the fact of the matter is, as much as we are very much on the record of being anti-stool here on this podcast, we have to accept the fact that's not going anywhere. Oh, no, not at all. Um, Especially with their... And, and in pen. fact, that there's people in the tw- in the, the, the sports Twitterverse that seem to think that, like, that something can be done about Barstool. Just like it's embarrassing. It's like, guys... You're, the the fact for better or worse, mostly worse. Barstool is much more in line with a lot of sports fan and importantly athlete culture. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, I I think it's very possible, especially for men, to compartmentalize things. So they see the aspects of Barstool that they like, and they can take the things that they don't like and just kind of shove them to the side. I'm not gonna say McAvoy and Pasternak or anybody who likes it that they're misogynists or that they that they engage in certain behaviors that Portnoy especially engages in. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to put them on that same level. I'm going to say that they there are aspects of it that they like and that is fine and they aren't as tuned into the the negative things that we are tuned into. Sure. Is that right or wrong? I'm not making a judgment on it. Today I'm not making a judgment on that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've said that like so many times today. I'm not making a judgment on that because I think I'm actively working not to be very judgmental. Uh, do I agree with it necessarily? Not really, but I'm not going to change their behaviors and I'm not going to call them out on it. I, I understand because there are times that I look at things and there are things that I really enjoy and there are negative aspects to them and I just, I don't pay attention to them. So, you know, it makes being like a really good person really hard to do, I guess, because everything's complicated. Everything is, like literally everything is, because as we've seen, not to just segue into it, as we've seen, um, the team that we all share, know, and love, the owner is very, very uh, negative. Well, you know, it's very interesting, Tim, because I was thinking of segging right into that, so... There we go. Well played, Tim. <laughs> we are, yes, very good, very good. Guys, I need to lay some stuff out on the table and I need to work through this because I've been very conflicted this week. Okay? Sure. I'm sure that you and everybody else who's listening will understand and maybe share the same conflict, I guess. I wanted to say confliction. I don't think that's a word, is it? No, conflict is the word. Okay. No. I'm going to start off by saying this. I now have two therapists <laughs> and maybe three if you count the life coach that's working with me. On Friday, we uh, we were talking about things that I do. I told her I have a podcast that I do and she wanted to know how much time I spend on the, the podcast and, you know, basically on, on the website as well that I, I work on. And I said, well, I think between the two things, gathering all of the information that I need to do both and actually physically working on both of the things I spend upwards about 30 or so hours a week doing all of this. I don't get paid for this. I had expressed that maybe that this was a waste of time in some respect. And that's because I was putting a judgment on being paid for something, you know, something that I, I decided to do on my own that's kind of a hobby that's extended out that she, uh, she was not putting that judgment on me. I was putting that judgment on me. I, I got really, really sad about it. And I did cry. Oh my God. I cried because one, I don't feel very important in a lot of ways. And the podcast is very important to me. So for me to, to feel very negative about myself and the job that I do because I did say to her very quickly, you know, I think right now we, we serve this purpose where we can distract people for a little while. And I think that's something that's very nice, but it's really hard to do when there's no hockey. I, I enjoy doing the podcast a lot. I've learned so many things about audio and production and how to prepare stuff for discussion. We get to spend time together. So that's important. And it made me really sad this week when basically the actions of the Jacobses has made me consider whether or not that's something I want to continue doing. I'm actually getting really emotional right now about this. And you know what? I'm going to get, I'm going to let, I'm going to let myself feel a little emotional about this because I feel their actions this week are reprehensible. They are not in any way something that I, I can get behind. I don't find that they're justifiable in any way. And, and those actions this week were, they decided to lay off 
a bunch of TD Garden employees rather than actually paying them in any capacity. And they've also decided to lay off a certain amount of Bruins employees and then making them use like a week of their time that they've accumulated and also giving them full benefits for a month. But I mean, really, that's not that's not a lot. So no, it's window dressing. Right. So so this week, I basically I got so angry that I actually had to choose whether or not I was going to continue to follow the Bruins, the team. I love the team. I love the people who make up the team. But the people who own that team are disgusting. And I hate them for what they're doing. Now, mm-hmm. I I realize as a Bruins fan, one of the things that 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 really unites a bunch of us is our, our hatred of how the Jacobs run their business and how how uh, cut and dry they do things, how down and dirty, you know, they're responsible for lockouts. They're responsible for people losing out on games, on money. Remember, remember this, this was an ownership group that was deliberately cheap through the late 90s and early aughts. When they could afford to be otherwise, yep, to prove a fucking point. Yeah, before last week, I looked up Jacobs's net worth. It was three point six billion. As of mid last week, it was three point one billion. That's yes, that's half a billion dollars that he's not worth anymore. But I feel like he should just be able to pay people through the end of the season. However much yes that should have been you could pay them for the next you could pay them out of pocket and one lump sum for the next three years salary and not put a meaningful dent in his in his net worth delaware north is doing this restructuring thing right now while basically no one's going out and doing things now like i said i'm not trying to justify anything i'm going to lay out some information it's not a hell of a lot of information but i do know that the jacobses did build that whole hub on causeway they built up a bunch of stuff around the garden. You know, it's restaurants, it's performance space. It's a, there was supposed to be like a, it was supposed to be a little concourse with like little satellite shops of popular businesses around town. And I know uh, there was also, oh, a movie theater. You can imagine that nothing is making money and I don't know if he can charge rent for those things right now. Plus putting out the money to to build something like that is, it can be a lot. So of course you want your return on investment, but I can't believe that that would be enough for him to make, to make the restructuring that he did. It, it's really just pure greed. It's got to be pure greed, right? So the TD garden compared to other arenas was built with a fairly small amount of public funds to their credit. Yep. However, the money they did get had strings attached charity, charitable obligations. That they weren't caught for until two and a half years ago. Right. Or caught for, you know, failing to even try to meet. (laughs) And even then, they did it because they got caught rather than doing the right thing. It's just, I mean, let's just fucking say it. Jeremy Jacobs is evil. There's no middle ground about this. There is no fucking middle ground. (laughs) Delaware North is not a publicly held company. It is privately held. It used to be Jacobs and his brothers, and now I think it's just him and and his children. But still, it's not like they have shareholders that they have to account to. Profits go into their coffers. That's it. 
Yeah. It's just really irritating as a Bruins fan because how do we support the team? We love the team. How do we support the team when the owner is just this bad? And and the fact that every penny you spend on this team goes into this this (sighs) RoboCop villain. Run it that owns the team. <laughs> it's tough. And it's not even because clearly they made it for their own business decision and their business decision means whatever lines their pockets. When you look at an owner like in a different sport, but Mark Cuban, who was the first pl- person to be like, no, we're paying employees through the end of the season. I don't care. Like I'm taking care of the people that actually make this team possible like that's what mark cuban did and i think a lot of people will argue that like business wise mark cuban's probably one of the more smarter people in business in terms of getting making his wealth and things like that but like the first thing he did it was like the day the league shut down he was like yeah i'm paying people like he was like straight up i'm paying everyone i don't care like this is what i need to do the way he explained it, basically, right there, should have like knocked the knees out from every other owner in every league. Because the way he explained it, basically destroyed any argument any other team can make. And like, and here's the thing: again, the Bruins are a very profitable team. Jacobs is a very wealthy man. The fucking Panthers, the Senators, Devils, Coyotes—all these teams that are mostly tax scams for their owners—are paying their employees. Who are the only NHL ownership groups to have basically have done have announced that they're doing bad things to varying degrees? Jacobs mm-hmm. or Pagulas and Molson. Yeah, these are three teams that, regardless of how good or bad they are, make vast amounts of money. How much fucking money are the Molsons making off of just beer right now? Right now, probably lots. Sales are. I, mean, I remember seeing a report here in Nova Scotia. Sales at the liquor store were up two hundred and sixty-four percent relative to the week the year, the same week the year before. This happened to be the same week, the week that St. Patrick's Day fell in. That they that they gave that number for as well. Right. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that the Molsons are still making money hand over fist oh, as yeah. long as they have beer going out. Right. And, like, I am a little sympathetic to Delburn North on this ground because, like, all of their revenue streams are shut down right now. But at the same time, that's not a whole lot of sympathy. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> that's just acknowledging okay, this is a reality of this, yes. But yeah. does it really justify anything they've done? No. No. I tried to to lay out that, you know, they basically put out a lot of construction. They have a lot of businesses that probably aren't even paying them rent right now. Mm-hmm. It's like that's because they can't. I'm, I'm having having such a hard time right now. The lack of hockey is not as um, annoying because you know it's like I I understand it. I I'm perfectly okay with what actions we have to do right now to to stem this uh, pandemic. I'm totally fine with that, you know. And the, thankfully, a lot of the networks and stuff have been showing old hockey games. So there we go. And that's good, and there and people need to have that, even if it's a game that was pay, played nine years ago. But if, if it makes you happy, good. But it's just seeing so many people having a hard time and having an uncertain future because their income is affected by this really just fucking irks me. See, that's the thing, too. Uh, Jeff said that, you know, 
a lot that Delaware North doesn't have a lot of things paying rent right now, but there are people that can't play pay rent not right now that are employed by Delaware North, and they don't care. And a couple of weeks ago, they came out with that bullshit statement that oh, we'll pay people if the season's played, or if, and, if the season if the season's canceled specifically. Which means that oh, okay, yeah. these people are going to get their money for those games. Great for those six home games. Great. But like we might not know until July if the season is canceled. Exactly. Which means that KK, yes, they're gonna get their money, and that's good. But the fact of the matter is, is they make it, you know oh I mean case so people aren't gonna be evicted out of their apartments, but their credit scores are gonna completely collapse. <laughs> yep. Never mind the fact that no one's addressed the when suddenly people are going back to work. And the landlords are asking for a back rent. People are going to get evicted then. And that's another thing I'm, I believe that Mark Cuban addressed. Like, well, if you're paying all these employees, what happens if the games like go on? Well, I'm going to pay them. Like, he, he's not going to like be like, oh no, I'm not paying you because I pay you when you weren't working. He's going to just be like, he was just like, no, I'm going to pay him. That's what happens. All these people make minimum wages, no money to him whatsoever. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing that Mark Cuban came out and said this week, uh, it was an article in Bloomberg about billionaires wanting America to be up and running like now. Their their idea is that, you know, oh, well, you know, we'll lose some people, but uh, it won't be as bad as losing the economy, which is just a terrible way to put it. I think that everybody should agree with that because uh, all these people who are so pro-life usually just don't give a shit if people die, but whatever. That's not the point I want to make here. The The point I want to make is that at the end of the article, Mark Cuban says, yeah, you shouldn't be listening to guys like me, meaning billionaires. Listen to the experts. We should all be staying home. Nobody should be going back to work. That was it. I was just like, okay. Like, well, Here's the thing about it. Is Mark Cuban's record um, isn't great. He's not a good dude. He's just got, He's just on the right side of this. He's better than a lot. He's better than a lot of the rest of his social class. Yes, that's yeah. saying almost nothing. <laughs> yes, I know he has a reputation for being quite a bit of an asshole. I get it, but I'm just like right now, he's saying the right things, and I hope he means them. He's he's saying the right things now, and like his turn, and as far as actual owners go, and taking care of like the team and stuff like that, he's pretty good with that. I mean, I know he's been on the shark t- on Shark Tank, and he's definitely a shark. He definitely will take advantage of the situation. Definitely, if it helps him, things like that. But he's he's on the right side of this, and it took and like think about the positive PR he's gotten from it too. Like it was so easy. It's something so simple and so basic that he was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna do it," and. Honestly, in the long run, that'll probably end up m- making him more than it did to pay those employees. Reportedly, he was the inspiration for Russ Hanneman on Silicon Valley. And Russ Hanneman is a terrible, terrible guy. Like, every time he shows up, you're like, oh, fuck, go away. That's... Uh... <laughs> he's more concerned about remaining a billionaire than anything else that's that's the whole gist of the character right yeah that sounds like like, like a billionaire ethos yeah yeah but look you know what he's doing the right thing now so so good for him you know one of the things i really hate about 
what the Jacobses are doing is that they're hiding they're they're hiding from the press and from any accountability by putting out statements mostly through the Bruins Twitter account. Yeah. Or P- yep. Bruins PR. And I I just feel like that's just a cowardly move. Be accountable for your actions. Let the fans know what you're doing. Don't do this like hiding behind bullshit statements. The other thing that they're doing is they're hind- they're hiding behind uh, the Delaware North Corporation name, uh, which sucks. Uh, they're definitely doing that because, of course, with all those tweets and stuff like that, that report the news, you kind of read all the replies. And there are people that legitimately don't know that the Jacobs own Delaware North. Like, people were like, oh, no, how, why are you blaming Jacobs? He doesn't own this. And it's like, no, he actually does. He owns the team. He owns the arena. And guess what? He owns the company that does all the concessions as well. Like, he's everything. Jeremy Jacobs is everything in that building. And people don't realize it because they hide behind that Delaware North Corporation name. It's one of those things where, like, people have tried to to make the semantics argument of, oh, it's all contract work. Well, who's the contractor? It's Delaware North. Him. Who owns Delaware North? The Jacobses. It's, it's all just an Ouroboros and fuck. So, <laughs> Right, right. So I just feel like, as fans, the only way that we can combat this is with our money, right? With capitalism, the best way to vote on things is to withhold your money. They say vote with your feet, but it's really vote with your wallet. Right, right. So that's where it's just so tough. I guess, you know what, I have plenty of Bruins gear. I don't feel like wearing any of it right now because I'm not feeling especially proud of the team and they're not playing. So, the, the t- okay, I need to separate it out a little bit more. I am proud of the team. I love the players on the team. Love the team. I'm not proud of who owns the team. Okay, I have to make these statements so that I, I can wrap my head around how I feel. But right now I'm very conflicted. I, you know, I had a problem. Okay, I'm just going to slide over a little bit to my problem with the NFL. As you know, it's been very well documented that I've been having a problem with the NFL for a while. I've had a major problem with the NFL since Trump got elected because all of those owners who would not allow Trump to buy a team have done nothing but lick his balls since he became president. Okay, mm-hmm. that they just that's how they've been. I've had a problem with Robert Kraft because I feel like Robert Kraft has taken advice from Trump that is bad, very bad. Well, I mean, advice. I mean, I mean, advice from Trump is exactly how one one ends up getting you know handies from uh, for, 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 from un, for, from underage um, uh, masseuses. So <laughs> I, I've had a problem with Trump's uh, not Trump with uh, with Kraft since then. I've had a problem with Kraft since then because I feel like. He is dishonoring himself and his family and his late wife by doing that shit. Mm -hmm. I I believe in certain things about marriage. Not everybody believes them, but I feel like it's like you, when you survive your spouse, you should be trying to be the best person that you can possibly be. You know, if you get remarried, that's fantastic, you know, but this stuff that he's been doing has just been... I, I just, 
I'm trying not to be judgmental, but I feel like he could be doing better. Okay. I'm just going to say, well, I mean, fuck, I mean, he wants to, he wants to be involved with someone a third his age. He's a billionaire. It won't be hard to find someone that would, that, that's willing to debase themselves and be with him. Well, here's <laughs> the other thing too. He, he profited off of that whole thing when she, when his wife passed away. It was all the Pats talked about. It was all they had the thing on the jerseys and everything like that. They profited off that. Well, I feel like a lot of the players had a relationship with her. So, um, and with him, obviously, because he does he does treat his players, a lot of his players, like family, and and that's great. But I've just had a hard time with him. I've had a hard time with the other NFL owners since the whole like Kaepernick thing too. It's just like the kneeling, you know, uh, some, some of the comments that were said by some of the owners who are no longer owners, like Jerry uh, Richardson said something about how like uh, the inmates were running the asylum or was that Bob McNair? It was one of them. And it was just a really, it was a stupid statement that left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. How did in basketball the Clippers owner says horribly racist things that gets run out of town on a rail like that? Right. How does this happen to none of the football owners? Because they all believe they will think it. That's the thing. They and all think. You really it. think that many of those NBA owners don't think that way too? I would hope not. I would really, <laughs> really hope not. I, I applaud both of your optimism. <laughs> I, I I have more hope for the NBA owners than I do the NFL owners in this instance. Okay, that's that's a fair point. My hope, more hope, doesn't mean much in my case, but I'll give you that one. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> it's not a lot, but like I, I just feel like all NFL owners, like there, it's all an old like boys club because like you have the Tennessee owner that did some something similar, I think, or the Houston owner. Like they they all kind of it's just that's what they do. I will also point out that there's also a timing thing here. I think. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Probably, like you know, and one of the things you you hear about people talking about the uh, the current Republican Party is quote saying the quiet part out loud. Right, right. Clippers owner said the quiet part out loud when that wasn't acceptable. Once Trump got elected, that changed. Yeah, yeah. Fair, fair. Mm. That's changed a lot. Yeah. Um. Well, I will say one thing too. I think that David Silver would not. I think as a commissioner, he he doesn't answer so much to the to the owners so much as he's just like, uh, there's a problem. He addresses it. That's it. So I would hope that there isn't a lot more like uh, that that owner. I don't remember his name. What was his name? You know, Tim. I actually don't remember his name. Okay, that's he's not worth remembering. Okay, Okay, that's fine. I I just didn't want to say Balmer because I know he's the guy who bought the team, and I didn't want to misquote who it was. So um, whoever it was before Balmer, he's a shitbag, and he does not deserve to own an NBA team or any team of that matter. So yeah, mind you, the guy still made an unimaginable fortune by by being forced to sell it because, like, he bought it for like a, a tenth of what he ended up selling the team for. Sure. It's also embarrassing, but what else was what's going to happen there, right? He got rewarded <laughs> for bad behavior, which is what happens when you're a rich white man in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Golden parachutes. So, so basically, I've had a hard time with the NFL for that. You're right. It is the saying the thing that they're not supposed to say out loud, but now you can. 
So I've had a hard time with, with the NFL. I've enjoyed it much less. I love the players. I think football players are fun. You know, some of them are so wacky. Oh, they're, they're, they're objectively more fun than most hockey players. Oh, my God. Like, I love the sport, but God fucking damn it. <laughs> yeah, personality up the wazoo. If you could have the personality of football players and the sport as it is in hockey, oh, my God, think of what a sport that would be. Oh, that would be so fucking yeah, I mean, fun. We, we see moments of it. I mean, obviously, there's P.K. Subban, right? Right. And, like, and, and as much of a shitbag as he is, Vander Kane. Yep. Um. Now, mind you, there's a pattern here, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to make a point there. But let's just let's acknowledge that yes, there's one there. Um. <laughs> but anyway, sure. yeah. personalities. You see how they get treated by the hockey media and fandom, right? We've talked about this plenty of times. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, okay. So I'm acknowledging that I've had a hard time with sports owners for a very long time and I still love the players. So I've been very conflicted right now as a Patriots fan. I'm just like, you guys have fucking blown up the team. I mean, they're making it really easy on you right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what? We'll still watch. But now we'll 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 complain. <laughs> See, it's funny because as a Bucks fan, which is crazy, but the <laughs> ever since the actual um, original owners of the Bucks, the Glazers passed away, and their sons took over, everyone, no one can stand them. Like it's one of those things where if the fathers saw what the sons have done, they'd be rolling in their graves. Like they would really be doing that. It's so bad, and and it's not only it doesn't only go to the NFL. The Glazers also own Manchester United, which is one of the biggest uh, soccer teams in England, and their fans feel the same exact way. Yeah, it's just well, it's billionaire fail shit. sons. It's what it is, right? I mean, like like you know, Succession is a a very timely show in this regard. <laughs> mm. Yes. <laughs> the Glazers are absolutely those two dumb fuck the, 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 the two dumb fuck fail sons in that show <laughs> oh absolutely the fathers were great and everyone will say the fathers were great right on like if you talk to like all the former Bucks players Derek Brooks Rondé Barber Warren Sack Tony Dungy former coach for them and they fired Dungy and he will still say that like all of that they'll all say how great they were, but the Suns, I can't find anyone that'll say anything great about the Suns. And if you think about it, the the two reasons why the Bucks won that Super Bowl, one was because Tony Dungy had set up a good team and a good system. Yep. And two, yep. John Gruden coached against his old team, which did not bother to change any of their offensive schemes. No, they didn't. Well, I mean, the Bucks had five interceptions in that Super Bowl. Five. And they returned three of them for touchdowns. That's not like a coincidence. If, if you are playing against your former team and they did not change anything, then guess what? You're going to win. <laughs> yes, you are. A hundred times out of a hundred, you're going to win. But, you know, I mean, it might have been tougher had Tony Dungy been coaching that team, but probably not. He's a smart guy. He's a good coach. And Dungy ended up winning eventually with Indianapolis. So, yeah. 
my knock against Dungy is that he coached the the Colts at a time when I hated the Colts. It's not it's not Dungy. It's just no that the Colts. I just don't like the Ursays. So it's a common theme. I don't like owners. Hey, imagine that. that. And that's fair because Dungy's amazing. I love Dungy. I think he's one of like he's one of the he's the greatest thing that ever happened to the Bucks. Like literally the greatest thing that ever happened to the Bucks. He brought in um, Leslie Frazier, coached under him at the Bucks, and a bunch of other guys like that. And then he brought in Monty Kiffin as well, which Monty Kiffin like developed the Tampa two defense and all of that. So like yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna pull right back to where I was before. I think that at this point in time still a Bruins fan. I can at least wrap my head around loving the team itself. I hate the ownership, but hey, that is like, I think that's a good solid 80 to 90% of the Bruins fandom that is like that. We've hated them for a long time. We've continued to hate them for a long time as, as owners. I'm going to think about how I'm going to proceed as a fan who actually wants to attend games. I don't know. Yeah. The, the good thing is, is that I I have a friend who's a season ticket holder, so I can usually get to see games and basically I am paying him for that extra ticket. So I can feel good about that. But if I were going to games on my own, I would be thinking uh, I'd have to think really hard about it as much as I want to see the Bruins. It's just really hard. Do I want to go far away and watch the Bruins play an away game? I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. I mean, on that flip side there is that money's going to the uh, the other team. So just, you know, pick your shots. Just just not Buffalo or Montreal. Yeah. It's just tough. It's a really tough time. I'm not trying to minimize this. It's a tough time for everyone right now. It's probably tougher if you're unemployed right now, and especially if you're unemployed by the Jacobses. That's that's very tough. But in this time, you want to be supportive of the, the right people and not supportive of the wrong people. I just needed to get that out. I needed to work that out a little bit more. Taking care of your mental health is a very important thing, guys. And sure. as as dumb as it might sound, nope, sorry, let me take that back. Whatever value you place on the statement that the Bruins are important to me, you know, just know that uh, I I have to think about this a little bit more and I have to really think about how to proceed outside of loving the team. I mean, it makes makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I'm glad I went to the final, a final game last year. I'm glad it was the only home game that they won. (laughs) I, I wish they would have won more home games is what I'm saying, but I'm I'm glad I got to go to that one. But I just, I, I just hate this situation so much. That's all. I feel you because the Jacobs have made John Henry look good. And that's really been hard to do over the past like six months <laughs> because even John Henry has pledged like $1.5 million to pay the employees through this whole thing. Like, and he is someone who traded the best Red Sox player basically since Ted Williams, saying that they didn't have enough money to keep him. Yeah, that's just dumb. So, all right. So, why don't we move on to something that's a curious, if not happier, thing the signing of a new diminutive defenseman? 
Yes. So um, Rowan signed uh, NCAA free agent defenseman, um, St. Cloud uh, State University, um, captain and senior Jake Ashan. That's right. It is A-H-C-A-N. Or Jack, not Jake, because I'm an idiot. But um, Oh, I just heard Jack in my head. So. I said Jake. I feel bad. All right. Yes, it is Jack Ashan. Ashan. Bless you. <laughs> and, and of course, this is Aiken, some... like I said last week. Yes, yes. Tim did say his name last week, but uh, he he um, didn't know how to say it, and that's okay. How many players do we have that just don't say their name like they should? All of them. No, I mean you know, apparently Vladash started calling himself Daniel Vladar. Yeah. Snah. And then there's Brad, who's just sick, you know, just changes his mind periodically just to make things interesting. <laughs> I think it's really funny. I used to say Marshawn, but now I like to say Marshan. I don't know why. <laughs> he and I flipped. It's okay. Anyway, so so Sean, uh, you know, so he's 22. He's only 5'8", so he's tiny. He's a wee fella. But 185 pounds. Um, yes, so he's built like a fire hydrant. Can't get, can't knock this kid over. So he's sort of like Oscar Steen in that regard. <laughs> he he played thirty three games, and I think he had what was it six goals and twenty seven eighteen and twenty five. Oh, okay. Um, I think he's got a history of good production. In his four full seasons in the um, uh, with Saint Cloud, he produced uh, twenty one, twenty three, thirty four, and twenty five points. Wow! So not bad, not bad at all. From what I'm hearing, the uh, closest comparable in the system, from what I've been able to, from what I've seen, might be Cooper Zek. He sort of, I've seen him described as sort of a midpoint between Krug and Grizzlick. Better in his own zone than Krug, better offensive, offensively than Grizz. But I heard that he was com- comparable to Krug and that he's a quarterback on the power play. This is not what people that actually watch prospects I've seen. He does quarterback the power play. Grizzly quarterback the power play at BU, at least before McAvoy joined him. <laughs> he is a scorer. This is why I say he scores. He's nice. Not going to be. He's not. I mean, very few players are actually Tory Krug. Let's face that. And yet he wasn't in your top five Bruins <sighs> players. <laughs> it wasn't Bruins players. That was hockey players in general. Jerome Ginlow, it was in there, had nothing to do with his time in Boston. Okay. All right. I know. I just feel like, you know, you got to show your boy some love sometime. It was fucking, I listed him as my near miss. My other two very, very close misses were, 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 weren't listed in the initial tweet. And that was, of course, um, uh, Krejci and Recky. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I have to, you know, I have to give you a little shit every once in a while. It's okay. Now I'll point out, you know, who wasn't on that list and you didn't comment on that at any point. Uh-oh. I, I have to remember. Think about who's saying this. And who you would have given a shit for? I mean, I'm surprised you didn't comment that they didn't make our mom make my list. Dougie? Yeah. Like, oh, it, it's because that. okay, it's because I just assumed that you finally come to your senses. <laughs> I know. Look, you can like Dougie all you want. Again, I stand by the point that I, I came around once he was traded the second time. You saw the holes that everybody else saw. It's more like there's clearly something besides what we're seeing here because teams have multiple times disposed of him for far less than his on than his on ice value. <laughs> I'm just going to say this right now. Even <laughs> though they do not have the same skill set at all, I am so glad we have Brandon Carlo. 
That's it. They're not even related in any way, really. I'm just going to say, yeah, Carlo was not part of that trade. <laughs> nope, not related at all. I'm just, you know what? Osan and JFK were. Yeah. Bra having Brandon Carlo has made me get over Johnny Boychuk being traded and Dougie not signing with us after a summer of petitioning him to sign that fucker. See, I feel, I feel the same about Charlie McAvoy. All right, so he's 5'8". 185. He is being dubbed as a modern day defenseman, to which Tory Krug was like, <laughs> Oh, modern day defenseman. Okay. <laughs> so pay me. <laughs> on a related note, Sweeney, you got nothing else going on. Fucking sign Krug. <laughs> yeah, why not? You got nothing better to do right now. <laughs> the only other, like, yeah, so I don't know. Anyway, we're not going to dig into that. We've talked enough about how, like, Sign Krug. Yeah. It's just fucking Sign Krug. I feel like if we talk about it too much, then we're going to doom ourselves. So we all know, fair. Donnie, you know what you need to do. There we go. But it's nice that he's stocking up these defensive prospects now. They're going to be down in, in Providence, hopefully next fall. Now, interestingly, something that got the um, these two signings got me thinking. I was like, huh, I wonder, you know, there was a defenseman we drafted a few years ago in the NCAA that we at Bruins haven't signed yet. This is uh, Cameron Clark, who was a um, uh, fifth rounder in, tw in, in 2016. Oh, yeah. So he's a senior. Boston loses his rights this August. So I did a little bit of digging and was like, okay, there's been no talk about him. His, season, his senior season's done. Like, you'd, you'd reckon they would be getting him signed now, right? So I went on into the the Bruins um, uh, reserve list and clicked on him and discovered that he played three games with the Wichita Thunder in the ECHL this season, which means he has, in fact, oh. left Ferris State. Oh. Yeah. You know what that tells me? The Bruins have no intentions of signing him. Okay. Now, I have nothing to – that is per conjecture based on that, but the fact of the matter is what on earth would he be doing in, doing in Wichita? He wouldn't be in Wichita, Yeah. Well, that's just it. If the Bruins were going to sign him, they would have signed him, and he would have played those freaking games with the with Atlanta. Yeah, exactly. Right, and that didn't happen. Remember this week, I happened to see that thing on Cedric Paré? Ah, uh, yes. Yes. I I had not thought about him probably since the last time that we talked about him. And said, I've seen his name come up a few times this season because he's been putting up big numbers rolling next to Alexi Lafreniere. Ah, who's probably pretty good. Um, well, he's like unambiguously the best prospect out of the queue since Sid. Sorry, Nathan McKinnon. Ooh. <laughs> this is not me. That's not my assessment. That's how I always see him referred to as without the without the adenum. Interesting. So here's the deal with Perret. He's putting up big numbers this year, and it's like, oh, the Bruins missed out on this one. The Bruins drafted him. He hadn't had great numbers yet in the queue. Then he didn't have a good draft plus one or draft plus two season. Yep. So they didn't sign. Whether the Bruins didn't want to sign him or he didn't want to sign with the Bruins, these are, it's not really that important. In the TSN article I found this week, he said that the Bruins did not want to sign him. I mean, I don't really blame them based on what we've seen before that. Now, you could say, oh, the Bruins look pretty bad now with these points. It's like, no, he's 21 playing against 16-year-old, centering one of the best forward prospects out of the queue ever. I just was curious. We had heard nothing. Oh, yeah. I heard nothing about that. To the best of my knowledge, I was the first person to talk about the Frost possibility the Bruins weren't going to sign him. Exactly. I might not be, it, might, it might not be, but I've seen, I saw no one else talk about it before it happened. Same. 
you could do a search on him and not come up with anything but stats until yeah. I just happened to search for him. This article appeared in December. I hadn't looked at it for him since then. I was just curious. And then, you know, our thing about him was, holy crap, he looks just like Bergeron. <laughs> so our, my my interest in him was purely on the fact that it's like, oh, my God. We could have two guys who look very similar on the ice at the same time. And that was, that's just kind of funny to me. They're not related. And like, you know what? That's on him if the Bruins didn't want to sign him. Cause like they had him to two development camps and two rookie camps and two training camps. Yep. He had ample opportunity to give the Bruins a reason to sign him. So I think he's full of shit. Yeah. Or he's not, or he lacks the ability to self-reflect. That could very well be true, because I don't think that a lot of people have that ability at 21 to do that. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know what? Yeah. Okay. Let's just say it. Bruins didn't want to sign him. But why didn't they want to sign him? Well, because of him. him. Yeah. This is a team that seems like it's probably still likely to sign Jack fucking Becker, who they drafted, you know, in the seventh round in 2015 and is still playing in, in NCAA because he took two additional because he didn't st- go go into uh, college until his draft plus three season. <laughs> oh, what do you do? USHL? Two seasons, yeah. Um, split, I think he split them between... Oh, you know what he was? I think he was old, so he was actually at the end of his gra- grade 11 when he... Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Okay, so he was um, split his uh, his draft year between uh, between his high school team and the USHL. And then did two more years in the USHL post. So he was... I mean, it's birth date on him. June 24th, 97. So... Okay, yeah, he would have been pretty. He would have been on the younger side, but not super young at the time of that. Uh, at the time when he was drafted. To be fair, though, Becker has played pretty well with Beecher at Michigan, and that could be why the Bruins want to sign him to try to get both of them in. They got Becker's rights for another year, although Becker hypothetically could choose to leave college and become a free agent in August. But no, that wouldn't work out for him. He's uh, you know, in three seasons has uh, forty-two total points in. In 101 games. Yeah. (laughs) Here's an interesting fact about players who've played in the USHL. Both Tori Krug and Sean Corelli graduated from the same high school. Not at the same time, because they're not the same age. But they graduated from the same high school in Indianapolis. Cathedral High School. I thought Krug had been on the uh, NTDP. Okay, I thought not, not the... Not general, not general, but that might just be my me being mistaken. Obviously, it must be me being mistaken. <laughs> he he played his senior year of high school with the Indiana Ice, and so no did kidding. so did Corelli, and so did I think John Michael Lyles. Yeah, he did. John Michael. Yeah, so it's like a, a lot of players that it, it's interesting. The, the ones that go the USHL route, there were a lot of players that we know that ended up with the Ice. Which no longer exists, by the way. One other thing that I was sort of thinking about this week a bit, and I saw it in a in um, uh, Goes Brown had his, his his grab bag on Friday talked about it. You know, this doesn't affect the Bruins. The league the season gets canceled, no playoffs. What do they? What does the league do for teams that that traded for rentals? Uh, now this came to mind because uh Kalman had an article this week about how you know what it was kind of low-key clever on the part of sweeney for getting guys with term yeah and yeah. also rfas at the end of their contracts Ooh, um yeah i don't know uh, com- compensatory picks 
down goes Brown suggesting is they create picks out of thin air at the end of the round of the pick that they traded away. Ah, oh, interesting. Okay. Go straight to the first for a rental, which, mind you, in his in his scenario, Taylor Hall wouldn't count too long before the deadline. Right, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. would be like so you'd get, you know if you if you traded your first round pick for this, you would get the thirty. You would get the thirty second second overall pick. Right. Traded second, you would get if you traded a second, you you know, and so on. The NFL, what they do is because trading is not a huge thing in the NFL. It mm-hmm. certainly in the last few years, there's been many more trades by the trade deadline than than usual but it's not a typical thing so what the nfl does is that if you lose a player in free agency at the uh the next draft year you get compensatory picks so next year the patriots will get a compensatory pick for tom brady and tom brady was a compensatory pick by the way they also have another system too where Ah. And Krejci. Wow, all the great players are compensatory picks, man. <laughs> they also have a system too, though. The NFL has like a, a balancing out system where if you sign too many players that are like top tier, you won't actually get a compensatory pick. Okay, yeah. To even that out. But like, y- you really have to like go above and beyond... I believe to sign player like you basically just have to sign like like you know seventy million dollars worth of players to like not get your compensatory pick, right? And like you know, Douglas Brown he puts a lot of thought into this. This is sort of his thing, right? This is his alternate scenarios, and like you know, points out it's like you know Peugeot wouldn't count for this because they went and turned around and signed him, for example, right? Sure, he doesn't have a situation for his um. What have you traded a a prospect for a rental? Ooh. Uh, that's like null. That's that's yeah, that offsets. Yeah. That just there's offsets. Nothing, well, no, but if it's a prospect, you still have it. it. Means that yeah, there's just nothing you can do. Yeah, yeah that's there's nothing to re there's nothing to recompensate for that. No, because obviously, if you if you're willing to trade that prospect for that rental, I, I just think it, it evens out myself. Oh, well, it depends. Though I mean, like if you if they say this has been the case after Bruins did the Nash trade. Okay. Would you have- would you have wanted a um uh, a, a compensation for having given up having given up Lindgren? No, he's playing in the NHL now. He was a real prospect. Like that's the thing. But we got rid of Bolesky in that trade too. Yeah, so like, which turned to be the case of uh, cashing that check at exactly the last possible moment. That that was a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Like, yeah. So I think that evened out for sure. Yeah. Exactly. I think that getting getting out from under that Bolesky contract was huge. Uh, Lindgren, what, he was a defensive guy, right? Yeah. He, he was the other Boychuk pick, besides Carl. He was a left-shot defensive defenseman. He wouldn't be on this team right now, don't get me wrong. But the point is that he was a real asset. <laughs> of those two picks, you struck gold really quickly with one of them. And he's developed yep. into something that's even better than maybe they even imagined. So, Or maybe they had him projected as a shutdown. I don't know. But every year, except for that sophomore year... That sophomore year was dreadful. Everybody knows it, but I stuck by my guy. But anyway, he's gotten better every year after that. So, like, they did really well with that. You know, quite frankly, looking back on Johnny Boyjak, as much as I love Johnny, it would have been five years of, or five or six years after that of just him playing maybe 50 or 60 games. 
Well, there's the thing. Like, okay, so the ill-considered Seidenberg contract is what made is what is part of what forced that trade, right? Right. However, the alternative would have resulted in signing Johnny Boychuk. Now, I think the best scenario would have been not not give that contract to Seidenberg, get to keep Boychuk the next season, and also not re-sign Boychuk. But well, that's just not how the world shook out. Mind you, also, I don't really. I honestly, I don't really think losing Boychuk is a big part. It is a uh, panacea for how that for why the Boston Boston missed the playoffs that year. Right, I don't think so either. Yeah, they also weren't far enough out, so it's not like they would have sold him as a rental either. Right, right. So you know what, everything in that worked out as well as it did. But you know, when it comes down to the Rick Nash trade, it was just it was a gamble. And well, if Rick Nash had not gotten concussed, yep. It, it would have worked out better. But also, you know, Rick Nash, that was the end of his career just because of that one last concussion. It was. I just remembered something else that happened this week, Boston-ish. Okay. It was in the Globe, an interview with, with Rask. Oh! It came up this week, but it, it was an interview from like a month ago. Yes. With Matt oh, okay. Porter. Yeah, he was like digging through his notes on things he hadn't included in previous articles or something, right? Right. Rask basically saying he doesn't know if he'll play after the end of his contract, but what he did say is that if he doesn't play in Boston, he won't play. End sentence. I think that's more or less what came what I got out of it. Yep, that's exactly what I got. He he likes it here in Boston. He doesn't want to play anywhere else, but he's also thinking about when his contract is up at the end of next season that he wants to retire. And the reason why he gave was to spend time with his family. Yep. He's soon to be a father for the third time. Right. right? I told you <laughs> who told you first. You it was me. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's going to be a father for the third time and his kids are still young. He does not get to spend as much time as he would like to with them because he's on the road and he has to train and do the stuff because Remember, hockey is not just they play a couple hours every night. It's it is a more than full time job for, oh, yeah. for them. And he's also played in the Olympics a few times, so he had to deal with that. But I think the other thing is too, he's had concussions, a couple concussions the last couple seasons. Yep. So he's had to deal with that. I think I think Rask has earned the right to, at the end of this contract to have one of those kind of like Char, where it's like a a perpetual one-year deal where as long as he wants to come back and play and he's still productive, they'll let him play and now, be productive. This does... How how it sounds in that article, it sounds like he's not even thinking about really playing beyond 2021. Honestly, I read it as he's planning on retiring one way or the other, but... <laughs> yeah. And and you know what? I honestly think that's that's a good thing. On his own terms, yeah. Right, right. It'll be sad, I, I want him to play as long as he wants to play. But if he if if he doesn't want to play well into his 30s, he's made plenty of money. He can go nope. just retire and find something else that he wants to do. And he's got a young family. So this is good. You know, so many times we talk about players who they lose something when they're playing and they have young kids and that that's not fair to the young kids. So... Like, good for him for making that kind of decision. Of course, he is able to change his mind, remember. More than enough time, and one assumes that this offseason there'll be conversations with him in Boston, because Boston's in an interesting place with goaltending right now. 
Yep. I don't really think resigning Halak is as big a important urgent priority as some of the stat, as some of the professional writers frame it as. It wouldn't be a bad idea, but and actually, well, I would say right off the bat, if they resign Halak, if it, it would be for two years for one thing. Yeah. Yep. You need you need an exposable goaltender in twenty in June twenty twenty one. Oh, that's right, that's right. Okay. So in this scenario, I imagine they would, ex, you know, resign Halak, Rask at the end of his contract. They'd expose Halak, protect and protect Vladash, because he's already played four pro seasons now. Although one of them doesn't count because it was a slide year. <laughs> so what we could see here is either they don't sign Halak, and they're gambling on Vladash being. The backup next season, mm-hmm. which I'm not super confident that that's what I think Sweeney would do. No, I don't or think so they would sign a journey a journeyman who could be a backup, but they have but but for a low enough value that they could justify Vladash outplaying him. I think. Okay. I don't. I don't. I don't know how. Or or they resign Halak for two years. That scenario, I think, signals that they don't expect to resign Rask. Yes, I would agree because. If you have Halak for two more years, then the you second year of Halak... You could platoon him with Swayman. Yep. The other catches, you know what, this team, it's priority, because, like, again, I'm on the record of being of the belief that Bergeron's going to retire at the end of his contract. That's the end of the window. Yes, next year's a big tipping point with the end of Rask and Krejci's contracts, but then you got one more year with Ber- one more guaranteed year with Bergeron, no guarantee of years after that. Krejci is another player who said he doesn't want to play for another team. Yep. There's still, he's, he's long been on the record of wanting to play back home, but he doesn't want to play for another NHL team. Yeah. From what I can gather, I think I've heard this before because when he signed his contract, he said this will probably be the last one that he signs and he wants to stay in Boston. So even in his my story, he said he loves playing in Boston. He does not want to play for another team. So I'm going to guess that he'll retire. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with players in their mid-30s retiring, especially when they have young families and spending time with their young families. Mm-hmm. And also him retiring would actually, like at the end of next season, wouldn't be totally awful because of Stanika. Right. And of course, that Boston's already re-signed Coyle in yeah. preparation for the potential event. And I do think that there is a relationship between re-signing Coyle and their expectations for what Krejci is doing at the end of next season. I would agree. Yeah. I think it's good when players can make these decisions for themselves and when they're not made for them. So it'll be sad. We're talking here about two players that have been playing the entire time that I've, you know, actively and avidly watched the team. Like this is going to hurt. Yeah. I mean, and God forbid what ha- what I think what I suspect happens a year later is going to hurt a whole fuck of a lot more. But yeah, yeah, it's 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 definitely you're gonna, definitely going to have a uh, over the next two, three, four years a changing of the guard with the Bruins of who's going to be there, who's going to be in leadership on the ice with the team and things like that. If the continuation of the season whether it starts with the uh, the regular season or it just goes to the postseason, if this doesn't get played, if it gets canceled, it's going to make this year really hurt. Yeah. That's the other thing, is if the season does get canceled, Sweeney made moves that keep the window open next year, but like... 
Or get into like, you know, Indiana Jones reaching back behind the dropping rock to grab his hat window here. <laughs> yep. I would also expect, if that's the case too, that the offseason slash uh, trade deadline next year, that the Bruins would go all in. And like really all in. If they need to make changes, I would expect it. Like I would expect uh, deals on deals on deals try to get this team one more cup all right guys let's change course a little bit we have a another listener submitted question that i'm gonna let jeff pick it uh, how about what are favorite hockey seasons that didn't lead to a cup win oh that's interesting I'm gonna have to go back in the way back machine and think about this okay, okay mr peabody <laughs> um well i can start because i already know my answer okay it's um it isn't a tie it's 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 close with the benefit of hindsight this is still a tough season to say this about but um uh 13 14 oh that would definitely be on my list it's it's it's, it's a hard season to say it about given that fucking series against the Habs, how it ended. And then the fallout from, and, and the fact that certain choices that were made going into that season are what caused the downfall of the mini dynasty at the time. Right. Um, whether we're talking the second trade and the, the structure of the Aginla contract, right? There were, there were some short-sighted decisions that went into that season that resulted in a good season. It was a lot of fun, right? We had it. We had Iggy. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was wonderful. It was you know it was it was yeah, we resurgent. He had a thirty goal season again. You know, we had Louis Erickson for the first time first season. And while it was a rough season for him, like I was long on the record, I loved Louis Erickson when he was in Dallas. So I was excited to have him in Boston. Carl Soderberg was on the team full time that season. <laughs> Carl played like Carl. <laughs> yeah, just 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 doing Carl things, yeah. So, and, you know, I mean, and then we had that, that amazing, amazing post-deadline run. Just, you know. The, um, uh, the President's the, Cups winning run? Yes, yes. But, like, that, that, that run, it was, like, something like 14 games, 14 uh, game um, point streak um, immediately after trading for Andre Mazaros. <laughs> yes, he was definitely the per- reason why, too. Oh, totally played like two of those games, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, there were things about that time, about that season, that are rough to that are rough to think about. Um, you know, we 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 had the Merlot. We had Merlot had clearly passed its expiration date, and two of them still had another season under contract after that year. Sure. And you know, of course, I mean, I'm sorry, Tim. We were this was a season of full time Matt Barkowski. Oh yeah. Like he was awful then, regardless of Tim's memory of the situation. It was Tori Krug's rookie year. Yeah. Um, it was it was a great season. It's the first year without Ferrance for a long time. Yeah. Year without Ferrance, first year without Horton. I was sadder about Ferrance than Horton. First season without first season without Peverly. Oh, Pevs. How many seasons did Pevs play? After he left, I think it was like one and a half, right? Oh, yeah, I think so. that's so sad. He didn't actually finish the contract he was on. Ugh. Not, yeah, he, he, he didn't retire out of it, but like you know, 
he didn't play all the way through that contract. No. I mean, just how could you know? Even with all the physicals and stuff they did, I mean, that just was such a freak thing that happened. And then there were some just, you know, there were some bonkers games that season too, right? Um, There was that fucking game against the Pens. I mean, like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, have favorable memories of that that game, but it's a game that I'm happy I watched. Okay, remind me what what happened during that specific uh, game. Brooks Orpik, Orpik um, oh. is a fan of a game. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. He managed to concuss Louis Erickson. Um, I can't remember if he was involved in breaking um, uh, uh, Kelly's femur or not, but that was the game that Kelly broke his femur. I think that's the game that James Neal like need. Need Marshawn in the head during the scrum after Thor after Sean Thornton lost his fucking mind, not three days after giving an interview about the code, no less. Oh my god! Okay, that game, I I forgot that. Like that, that, that was an absolutely fucking bonkers game, utterly insane. Again, don't have a lot of favorable memories of it, but it's one of those games. Like I'm glad I got to see that nonsense. I'm glad to have seen it to know what's right from wrong. Somebody had posted like some uh, Sean Thor- Thornton fights kind of thing from uh, from YouTube, and it started going into when he started beating Orpic on the ground. I mean, on the on the oh, ice, they and I was that? they included that, and I was like, I'm done. I can't I can't watch this anymore. Well, it's sort of like I used to love, you know, Scott Stevens' greatest hits, but like in retrospect, the, the hits against Lindros and Korea are just like soul crushing. <laughs> Anyway, my, my runner-up would be uh, 0809. Fucking, fucking Scott Walker. <sighs> <laughs> but, like, you know, that, was the la- that was the last season we had. That was, that, that was the only season, I think, that we ever had right through a healthy Bergeron, Savard, and Krejci. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I can't go back that far, obviously. I understand that, yes. I'm just, I'm just commenting this, like, that's a close runner-up. Fucking Scott Walker. Scott's Walker, I assume it works like attorneys general. Yep, um, yep, they're yep. all bad people. Um. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. That's the way I look at it. I apologize if your name is Scott Walker and you're listening to us now and you like us. I'm sure you're a great guy. <laughs> but you are also neither a play, neither a shit-dicked player from the Canes or an even shittier governor of Wisconsin. So, like, if you're not neither one of those, you're, pro- you're you have a chance of being all right. You're probably pretty okay. That's right. true. Yeah. So obviously, I have a, a much shorter list of things I can actually say. Yes, I did watch the Tampa Bay slash all the way through Canucks series uh, of the Stanley Cup winning year, but that's uh, they won a cup, so that negates the question. And two, that's not a full season. So uh, I started watching in uh, twenty thirteen after the lockout. I did not watch the the full 48 games, but I came in some, like, I don't know, maybe five games in or something like that. So I have to say that watching hockey that year was probably my favorite year of watching hockey that didn't lead to a cup up until last year. Okay. Like last year would probably be my real answer, but they got so close to the cup that I'm not even sure I can even count that as well, an answer. Well, that's just it. That's why I didn't say um, uh, 12-13 because that was a fun season. 12-13 because it was a fun season too, but I'm just like, ah, how, how can you say a season where you came this close to winning the cup 
is the is the best non cup winning season because those are the worst in some ways. <laughs> right, but this is why it's my favorite one. Okay, it's when I started watching hockey, when I started learning how to watch the game. Okay, uh, basically, I could only watch a period at a time. I've said this before. I could watch a period at a time because it was just so much. I it just to take it in and to understand things. And I gradually worked up to two periods and then a full game just before the playoffs started. That was a year that we had no business in some ways of actually getting as far as we did because there were, there were some real like slumps, like the team looked tired or, you know, especially like uh, right around the time of uh, the bombing, everything was crazy bonkers that, that year. Because, uh, you know, I, I don't, I was not in Boston when the bombing happened, happened but, uh, you know, I had to work in a town that was on a lockdown, basically. And I was a mandatory employee. So that was kind of a, a scary thing to have to, to deal with in, in a way. And, and watching the Bruins go on their cup run did a lot, I think, for all of us. Basically, that year after after the bombing, after just terrible things happening in your community, it it just my football season was over early and I was just like, fuck it, I'm watching hockey. And then I did not realize I didn't realize until I, I said, hey, Glenn, let's watch some hockey that Glenn, my husband, grew up playing hockey. He loved hockey. Uh, his whole family was into hockey. I had no idea of any of that because we, it was just nothing that we talked about. I didn't grow up with hockey. I didn't know. I loved playing street hockey. That was fun. But still, I I didn't know these things. It never came up. So I loved learning how to watch hockey. I it, We still had enough of that 2011 team around. You know, no recce, of course. But, you know, we had a lot of elements of that team that were still around that uh, a lot of people still really loved a lot of them and and I got to know who they were and that you know I'll never forget that uh at game 7 against Toronto I saw it again last week it was fantastic basically Bergeron everybody I mean everything was on his back basically and and he scored the the last two goals and it was great I mean it, that's a funny one you know so Bergeron did the, did the heavy lifting on the goal scoring it was Luch that decided the Bruins weren't winning that game first Yep. <laughs> and unfortunately, the mad, the extreme mediocrity he went on to become after this sullies that memory. Like people remember, think of Luch in terms of the thirty goals, his thirty goal season, the year they won the cup. No, no, no. Luch's moment in Boston was that game. Yep. And that's what he should be remembered for better than anything else. And it's not the case, and it's really not fair. <laughs> Right, right. Well, you know how it is in these situations. It's always the goal scorers that you remember in the playoffs rather than anything else. Or, you know, in the case of Tory Krug trucking Robert Thomas there, it was Tory <laughs> Krug trucking Robert Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> that is what I most remember about that game last season, right? There was just something that was magical and scary about that time. So hockey was very reassuring. I, I don't know. I just I, I know we came very close to winning the cup. It almost isn't within the realm of the question, but um, it still is. Uh, it was still kind of like a magical team for me. They, I realized that my favorite player on that team screwed the pooch in that game six. But you know what? It's not his fault. He was playing too far up the lineup at that point. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um. The fact of the matter is, is you know. Uh, 
Dougie and possibly even Bartkowski, both of whom were healthy scratches in that game, probably could, would have been better choices than Ference at that stage. But I, I'm going to say this. I don't, I don't think I wanted to see a Game 7. I don't think I wanted to see a Game 7. Had the Bruins won Game 6, Game 7 would have been excruciating because Bergeron would not have been able to play. And no, Char was Char's hip was starting with Char's hip. He was starting to get become painful to watch too. Yeah. So, so you know what? It's one of those things where it sucks. We did not win the cup. It it actually hurts a little bit worse that the next year the team was so good and they got knocked out in the second. Well, no, wait a minute. Did they get knocked out in the first round? Second, second round. They beat Detroit in five. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. They got knocked out in the second round. I keep thinking the Habs were the first round. I went to my first playoff game that year. The year that you announced it was it, because what happened was I got to see the game at home and understand a little bit more. And then I went to my first games. I started out the 2013-2014 year, uh, hockey year in Edmonton. All right. Yeah. Because uh, I wanted to, to send off Andy Ference that way. I got to see his Holding face. Holding to the end of the period because it's the cup. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I got some really great pictures there because I had glass seats and it was so fun. I got to see the Yager. I got to see Martin Brodeur, or as everybody likes to call him, Uncle Daddy. Uh, <laughs> it was a fun He's game. 110 years old, lives with Chris Chelios and a mummy, if I recall. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, but it, was a, it was a good fun time. I was really very... Um, happy to go do that so it's like but that 2013 cup run when they didn't win the cup that that led to that and it led to this what we do now right so it's like yeah so basically i i feel confident in saying that that that's my thing there you go all right tim okay so my i have two runner-ups that kind of that are kind of the same as Jeff's actually, my two runner-ups are the 0809 and then the uh, third or the fourth, the Iggy year. Um, those are my two runner-ups. 0809, uh, I remember that so vividly because at the time I was living on campus at Southern New Hampshire University, doing my uh, internship with the Manchester Wolves, which was an arena football team in uh, New Hampshire, and. I remember watching Scott fucking Walker. I was sitting in a dorm room on campus, freaking shipyard summer ale in hand, and just devastated. I remember that. And it just, oh, it hurt. It hurt a lot. And then I loved having Iggy here. It was great. He had a 60-point season. He was awesome. The number one favorite year for me and this is not going to be to anybody surprised that knows me well, uh, is the 2014-15 uh, Boston Bruins. Now, this team uh, was fifth in the division. They missed the playoffs. Really largely unspectacular. Uh, but it was the one year that uh, Nicholas Fedberg was backing up <laughs> in Boston. <laughs> Never mind the fact that Nicholas Fedberg backing up in Boston is a non-zero portion of why they missed the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, Not necessarily just because of his play, but because Claude didn't trust him worth the damn. See, here's, see, that's true because he played 18 games that year, which was not a lot, obviously. But damn it, he had a 2-3-3 goals against and a 19, 9-18 save percentage, 
What more do you want out of your backup goalie? Yep, you know, you've just a few more games, not dry, grinding rast to dust. Um, and again, that's sort of you know, that right there is ultimately what got Claude fired is his uh, his dipshittery with respect to backup goaltender use. Yes, exactly. And so, I mean, for a large part of a lot for a long time, Nicholas Fedberg, you know. I loved Nicholas Federer. I still do. He's still doing his thing over in that Swedish hockey league and going strong there. Reached stint in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. He he spent a weird. St- he went to Russia for a couple years um, and played really well one year and then really poorly another year and then went to Iowa for a year and then now he's played two years in uh, Sweden. He is someone that. I latched on to. I absolutely, he was my favorite player while he was here. Loved Nicholas Fedberg, and it's unfortunate that it didn't work out. And I've had a hard time finding another goalie since. And um, really hoping that uh, Jeremy Swayman can be that goalie. Man, I just, it's weird. That time of that year, the year before, and the year they missed the cup run, uh, where those years there, were kind of the prime years that we were all on that uh, blog talking and kind of meeting each other and everything like that. And there were some, a lot of fun times in those game threads and things like that. So I definitely remember those fondly as well, just throughout that time period. So I think, yeah, I mean, 14, 15 Svedberg became a thing. He played 18 games in Boston uh, that year. He, was seven five and one, and uh, that just shows kind of how little he was used because he actually only figured into uh, fourteen or thirteen uh, of the games. But it is what it is. I uh, I will forever love that season. I will all say, um, depending on what happens with the season, if the season gets canceled. This year may make a run for make a run for runner up for me. This is I would agree. probably the most overall fun group. Oh, I love this team. Yeah, like, same here. Th- th- this is such a good group. And again, last year, if I if I hadn't made the conscious decision to eliminate the 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 the, 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 the um uh, couple the, the two lo- losing finals runs last year may have but no, may have nudged thirteen fourteen in my mind because it is a it is a and they said thirteen fourteen was a very fun team. Last year's and this year's is probably more fun, but I'm just like I can't do it for a team for for, for a year that became that close. I can't do sure. it. You know, in in the seasons that I had to choose from, we had some dry spells, some real big dry spells yeah. that were unfun. You know, when the team basically, you know, they were playing <laughs> Tampa the last game that one season. I think it was was it fourteen fifteen. It was the last game of the season. They looked up and they saw that the team that they were vying for, for points in the standings to get into the, the, the wild card, I think it was, um, or whatever it was they were they were trying to get into the playoffs. When that team was winning or won the game and they were still in the middle of their game, they were like, fuck it, we give up. You know, that, that team gave up. Uh, the team the next season didn't do as well either. And then I think they finally fired Claude, which we were all very upset about. But now, in retrospect, we think it was a good decision because we are allowed to change our minds on things. Again, I think also Sweeney had been quietly building 
a team for a year and a half that was deliberately ill-suited for Claude. Right. Because that was his plan, I think. He couldn't justify firing Claude outright until then, but he set the stage to be ready for it when he did. Because he probably already had had Cassidy picked as the successor from the moment he was hired as GM. I would, oh, yeah, I would agree with that. The minute he brought Cassidy up onto the coaching staff... But that wasn't until the that wasn't until the season that they fired Claude though. He was only an assistant coach for a half season. He'd be, he was still in Providence the year before. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just saying yeah. that the the minute they brought him up, we knew that something had to be up. I mean, it was like it was like the final nail, basically, right? Yeah. Between that and Pandolfo sliding from director player personnel to assistant coach, yeah. those were two big red flags for Claude's future. <laughs> Right, right. So basically, you know, it, it was one of those things. Yeah, I mean, what they they fired. Who did they fire? Well, Jeff Ward left, and they had Jarvis. Yeah, Jeff and, Ward had left a couple of years earlier, so they fired Jarvis. They, they fired Jarvis and Huda. Yeah, yeah, and brought those others up. So Sacco was already there, and they kept Sacco. Right, right. Obviously. Yeah, so so that's fine. I, I don't like how Sweeney announced it. That's all. I would agree. That was my I big problem. Uh, announcing it during the, the Patriots Super Bowl parade was dumb. I did not like that. But after that, it was easier to not be mad. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it was a light switch. So that team was instantly fun to watch as soon as. Yeah. Cassidy, yeah. Like the first half of that season had been brutal. Yeah. Like as rough as 14, 15 and 15, 16 were to watch the first half of 16, 17 made me want to die. I, I think he <laughs> should have, he should have fired Claude back in January when he had a chance and he didn't. So, but anyway, um, yeah, so I had slim pickings guys. That's what I'm saying. But that first year it was magic. It, it hooked me when this team decided to become a family. Remember that happened not last year, not the year before. It was that year that they, uh, they well, they got Rick Nash and Nick Holden, I think it was, or something like that. Nick Nash and Rick Holden would be um, the year before. That would have been uh, Cassidy's second playoff, first full season. Also yep. involving Tommy Wingles and Brian Gianta. Don't forget those irrelevant players. But, but, no, <laughs> but remember when they took the picture after going out to dinner somewhere? I definitely remember that. Yeah, it was right around Christmas time, I think. Well, it was after the trade deadline. Oh, was it? Yes. Okay, fair and enough. And Pasta, Pasta labeled it as family. When the team decided to be a family again, that is when this team got fun to watch. Really fun to watch. Like, you could really get behind them. So it's like, so yes, I had some slim pickings years and I was not picking those because they were dreadful and dire and I hated them. We picked a hell of a fucking season to, to start to start a podcast. I'm surprised we made it. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. I know, I know, I know. It, but you know what? I don't regret it. Five years no, strong, not, man. Not even a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. Uh, thank you to Adam Ramage at Ra- Adam underscore Rambo for that question. We'll answer another question again next week. Tim says that he will probably have. Th- some of his research done by next week. So that'll be exciting. So I think we should do the thing. We should listeners. You've been listening to barely on topic. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever your favorite podcasts are found. Please write us a few stars, write a review, tell your friends about us. You can also follow us on Twitter. That's at barely on topic. 
or on Facebook at Barely on Topic Podcast. And of course, there's always our individual Twitter accounts. I am at Dr. Hand Grenade. I am at Tim A. Richardson. And I am at AndrewFerrensForever.com. Also known as FVA from RI. Tim? Wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect.